Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 John. Last week, uh, if you were with us, we, we began a, a four-week uh, four series entitled, That You May Know. If you are a Christian, the whole reason why the book of 1 John was written, the whole reason why the book of 1 John is in our Bibles is so that you may know that you have been forgiven from sin, that you have been saved from death, that you may know that you now, right now, possess actual, real, eternal, everlasting life. And as Christians, I, I, I really can't stress, stress the, the importance uh, of, of knowing the importance uh, of knowing for certain where we stand with God. It is of the utmost importance that we are assured of our salvation because without an assurance of our salvation, yours and my walk with God will look and feel a lot like a high-pressure audition or a job interview. It'll look more like an audition than the restful, peaceful, life-giving relationship that God desires us to have with him. So instead of, you know, if, if, our, if our mindset is one that we are just not ever assured of where we stand with God, well, then we will read our Bibles, likely, and we will pray to God, but more than likely, it, it will be uh, because we want to win his acceptance and earn his approval, rather than simply reading and praying and going before him for the sheer delight of knowing him and being his people. Does that make sense? Without assurance, our hope becomes entirely focused on what we do rather than what Christ has already done. And that is not, in fact, Christianity when we are so hyper-focused on our performance, hoping and praying and wishing that we're doing enough to, to one day meet Jesus in heaven. That is not Christianity. Christianity is knowing by the blood of Jesus, by the grace of God, where we stand with him. Amen? Around the years of 80 to 90 AD, this was roughly 50 years after Jesus' resurrection, I said this last week, but false teachers had begun worming their way into several churches that were located uh, in and around the Roman province of Ephesus. And Ephesus is in modern day Turkey. That's kind of where we're thinking geographically. And contrary to the teachings of Jesus, and contrary to the teachings of Jesus' eyewitness, eyewitness apostles, these false teachers were insisting to the, to the Corinthian, uh, excuse me, to the Christians in Ephesus, these false teachers were insisting that Jesus was in fact not God, that he was not the Savior, the Christ, and that his death on the cross was not necessary for the forgiveness of sins. And as we might imagine, these claims from these false teachers were causing an awful lot of confusion amongst the Christians in Ephesus. And, and many of them were beginning to ask questions like, well, you know, if I, if I can't be certain about Jesus being the Savior and, and about the cross being enough for my acceptance before God, well, how, can, can I know that I'm truly forgiven? 
You know, how do I know that I'm truly saved? Can I know that I truly possess eternal life? These are the questions that the Ephesian Christians were asking around the years of 80 to 90 AD. And it is for this exact reason that the Apostle John wrote a letter to these churches. And we have a copy of that letter. It's the book of 1 John that we're looking in. He wrote this letter. He wrote this book in order to refocus the Ephesian Christians on the completed work of Christ. And he wrote this letter to reassure them of their salvation in Jesus. He explains to us and to the Christians in Ephesus in 1 John chapter 5, 13, I write these things to you, John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. That you may know you have eternal life. This is where we got the title for the series, that you may know. Because as Christians, I'll say it again, as Christians, God wants us to know where we stand with him. He wants us to know that we have been forgiven in Jesus. He wants us to know that we have been redeemed in Jesus. He wants us to know that we have been sealed for eternal life and that in Jesus, nothing and no one can remove that from us. And so if you're here this morning and if you're wondering if these things are true for you, am I truly saved? Can I truly know that I'm saved? the book of John is going to be a tremendous help to you. Uh, not only in our time together, but also for your individual study of pouring through this letter. The book of 1 John will be a tremendous help because in it, we're given four marks of a true Christian. Last week, uh, as we saw, the first mark is belief in Jesus. It seems simple, and it is simple. Do you believe Jesus is God is one of the questions we asked last week. Do you believe Jesus became man and walked the earth a sinless human being? Do you believe he is the Christ, the promised savior from heaven? Do you believe that his sacrificial death on the cross and his supernatural resurrection from the tomb is your only hope for forgiveness and eternal life? Do you believe these things? I mean, the Bible says in no uncertain terms that Jesus is the way. Not a way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And no one will enter the kingdom of heaven and no one will be reconciled and restored to God apart from believing in and entrusting our lives to Jesus. Jesus. Belief in Jesus is the first and most important mark of a true Christian. It is the first and most important mark of someone who ought to be assured of their salvation. But it's not the only mark. And we're gonna see this today. And I'm thankful that it's not the only mark that John shares with us in the letter of 1 John. Because if true belief is what's required for Christian assurance. Well, how do I know that I've truly believed? Is the next question that kind of arises, does it not? 
How do I know that I've truly believed? Maybe you wonder this. Is there a way to know? Is there a way to know that we are really actively right now believing in Jesus? And the Apostle John would say, yes. Yes, there is a way of knowing. And we see it this morning in our passage that we're going to be looking at, 1 John chapter 2. Verses three through six. So if you will flip to 1 John chapter two, I'm gonna start reading in verse one and I'll go through verse six. John writes this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And here's our passage this morning, starting in verse three. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we do believe this is your word. And we say that after we read because we want to be reminded of the authority and the power of this word and would ask God that you would use this word, that it would be profitable to us this morning. God, that you would use this word to save those who do not yet know you and God, that you would use this word to sanctify those who do. We ask all of this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. A good friend of mine worked for a number of years as the personal assistant for a very well-known celebrity pastor. And while this pastor was behind the pulpit and when he was under the lights of the stage and when he was on the TV screen, this pastor would, would talk a lot and he still talks an awful lot about belief in Jesus. Believing Jesus is God, believing Jesus is man, believing that Jesus is the forgiver of sin. The only problem is that when this pastor is away from the pulpit and out from under the lights and off camera, he was notoriously so verbally abusive and impatient and harsh toward his staff that my friend developed a stress-related illness working as his personal assistant and my friend was forced to resign. Now I want to have that illustration at the forefront of our mind and I want to be absolutely clear about something this morning. Believing in and trusting in Jesus is all that is needed for our salvation, for our forgiveness, for our eternal life. But according to this passage that we've just read this morning, the indisputable evidence that we believe in Jesus is in our walking like Jesus. 
The validating proof of our belief in Jesus is our obedience to God. Now see, the false teachers in Ephesus and by all accounts, the false teacher that I just described to you in my illustration, whose name is Rod Parsley, uh, the false teachers in Ephesus were claiming to know and to walk with God, but there was little to no evidence in their lives of any obedience to God. And this is a common trait among false teachers. And so John begins our passage this morning. If you'll, if you'll look back at our passage at verse three, he begins our passage by reminding the Ephesian Christians that the way we know that we know that we walk with God is when we walk like Jesus. It's, we know that we have truly believed Jesus when we keep his commands. Look at verse three. We know that we have truly believed Jesus when we keep his word, verse five. We know that we have truly believed Jesus when we walk in the same way he walked, verse six. Are we all seeing that together? I'm not making this up this morning. We gotta see it together. Conversely, in verse four, John reminds us that whoever says, well, I believe in Jesus, I walk with God, I know him, I'm a Christian. Whoever says these things but does not obey God's commands, again, we're looking at verse four, John says that person's a liar. And the truth is not in him or her. Now, I mean, it's, (laughs) verses like this are a little uncomfortable. It doesn't get any more black and white than this. What we believe will ultimately be proven by how we behave because our beliefs dictate our behavior. Are we following the logic here? And so there are some sobering questions to to ask ourselves that I, I would like to ask you this morning. What do your patterns of behavior say about your belief in Jesus? What do your patterns of behavior? I'm not talking about having a bad day at the office. I'm not talking about losing your cool in rush hour traffic once a week. I'm not, I'm I'm saying this. What do the patterns, the trends, the habits, these behaviors, what do they say about your belief in Jesus? If we were to hit the mute button, and if we were to watch the last two years or three years or five years of your Christian life with the the mute button, not listening to the words, I believe in Jesus, it's muted, but if we were just simply to watch the video of the past five years of your life, would we see an individual striving to walk like Jesus? If we were to ask your spouse, if we were to ask your kids, if we were to go to work and and ask your coworkers or go to school and ask your classmates or your neighbors, the people who are around you the most often, 
Because again, we're trying to look at patterns of life. If we were to go to those people whom you have spent the most time with over the last five years and ask them, here's the question, would they describe you as someone who walks in humility and generosity and patience and love and self-control and self-sacrifice? Would you be described in these ways because these are the marks of Jesus? Next week, we're gonna look at hating sin. All too often in my life, I do not hate sin and I do not make war against my sin. The following week, we're gonna look at loving others. Do you really love others? I'm asking myself the same question. These are the marks of Jesus. We don't get to just say, yep, I'm a Christian without any evidence that Jesus' grace is alive in our hearts and our lives. And so this, today's gonna be relatively short, relatively right to the point. I have like three affirmations, if you will, three applications, three statements that I've kind of pulled from this text to, to help us look at this idea of obedience. You know, the question, the, the, the title question today is, do you obey God? Last week we asked, do you believe Jesus? That's the first and more, most important mark. No one will get to the Father. No one enters the kingdom of heaven without believing in Jesus. But the follow-up question, the evidence that we have truly believed, do you obey God? Do you obey God? And so observation number one or affirmation number one, however you want to, to word that, true obedience seeks to do what is right in the eyes of God. Now, every word in that phrase is pretty important because we live in an age that's not unlike the age of the judges, if you've ever read that Old Testament book, Judges, with everyone doing what is right in their own eyes, where obedience becomes kind of subjective. I'm a good person, I pay my taxes on time, you know. These sorts of ways of looking at obedience are, are very popular in the West. It's very judges-esque. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, but we cannot merely think of obedience as doing the right thing according to us because that is so subjective. It is so subjective. Instead, we must think of obedience in this way. Obeying God is doing the right thing for the right reason in the eyes of the right person, and that is God. And John is very clear about this. In, our, in verses three, five, and six, it's obedience to God's, what? His commandments, his commands. It's obedience to God's word. It's obedience in conformity to Jesus' life walking as Jesus walked. This obedience is very particular. It's very specific. Now, you and I have inherited the, the motto from our first father, Adam. And that is essentially, 
as each one of us exits the womb and learns to think and speak and act for ourselves, our motto is this, my will be done. (laughs) Is it not? But in Jesus, in the second Adam, in the truer Adam, he came, he walked and lived in perfect obedience to the Father. And what was his motto? Thy will be done. And so we are a people as Christians, fundamentally with a changed motto, no longer is it my will be done, but thy will be done, Lord. This is the heart of obedience, being for what God is for and being against what God is against. Now, this really implies something, doesn't it? To be for what God is for And to be against what God is against, it means that we have to know what he's for. And we have to know what he's against. And praise God, he has written that out clearly and plainly for us in the word, in scripture, in the Bible. We ought to be a people of the word because we want to walk and live like Jesus. We want to be for what God is for. We want to be against what God is against. And this is where we learn those things. All of the law, all of the commandments, all of the Old Testament, Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew, it can all be summed up in loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and loving our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. And I love myself a lot. So that is a high call in my life, is it not? And I'm sure you can echo. If you're honest, you can echo. True obedience seeks to do what is right in the eyes of God. Affirmation number two. True obedience is motivated by three things. True obedience is motivated by a fear of God, a trust in God, and a love for God. And I'll start with with fear. It's, It's really not explicit in our passage, though I don't think we talk enough about having a healthy fear of God. Here's what a healthy fear of God does not mean. It does not mean that we are fearing, as Christians, we are no longer fearing God's wrath. We are no longer fearing his punishment because of what John writes not in our passage, but in verse two of chapter two. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. As Christians, you and I are no longer fearing God's punishment because Jesus took our punishment. He became our sin. He laid on a cross that we deserved. All of God's wrath was poured out On Jesus, not a drop of it is left for the one who puts their trust in Jesus. Not one drop of punishment, not one drop of wrath. So our fear of God as a motivator for obedience is not punishment. It is God's holiness. Church, we've been saved by Jesus, but God is still holy, is he not? 
He is still a consuming fire. He is still rightly and justly angered by sin. And if you don't believe me, I mean, look at Uzzah in the Old Testament. He was a person, he's a follower of God. He got really callous and really flippant with God. And as the ark is teetering, because they decided to move it on a rainy day, Uzzah holds out his hand like he's going to stabilize Yahweh. And he, he dies on the spot. God is a holy God. He's holy. Read the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Paul writes to the Philippians, work out your salvation with what? With fear and trembling. Not because we're afraid of God's wrath, but because God's holiness is a tremendous motivator that we would be holy as he is holy, set apart as he is set apart. But our God, our obedience is not just motivated by the fear of God, but, but also a love for God. Our God is rich in love and he abounds with mercy and grace. You guys, the gospel in summation is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We weren't looking for a savior. We weren't even sorry about our sin. While we were still running headlong into hell, Christ came and he died for us. He made propitiation. He took the Father's wrath so we can be given the Father's grace. And man, I love what Paul writes as he's thinking about this miracle of while we were yet sinners, Christ dying for us. As he's thinking through this, he pens Romans 8.32. Look, God who did not spare his own son. God didn't spare his own son. He gave up his son for the benefit of these believers that would come to trust in him. And this is our great joy, is that if God was willing to give up his only begotten son, how much more will he also graciously give us all things? Now, I'll tell you what this means. This means that our obedience can be motivated in love for God, but also a trust in God. If God was willing to go to the length of dying on a cross, the excruciating death that he did, ought we not believe him when he says that when we are, you know, running headlong into sexual immorality, when we're running headlong into drunkenness and addiction and, and this and that, and all of this reckless living, ought we not be able to trust him that when we obey, when we say, not my will, but yours, ought we not be able to trust him that he uh, really is trying to, he, he, he has our best in mind. He wants our joy. He wants our flourishing. It's what he created us for. And so in our obedience, man, we can break this, this cyclical pattern of pornography addiction almost simply by remembering the holiness of God, wanting to obey a holy God, but also remembering how trustworthy is this God. He wants my best for me. I've got to believe in this moment as I'm being tempted to view something I shouldn't, that God will give me more joy than what this could ever. Does that make sense? I hope that it does. It, it's the same with our, you know, sacrificial giving. God tells us to be cheerful and generous givers. Well, goodness, the reason why I can obey God in that is because I genuinely believe his promise that he is going to bless me more so than any of that hoarding of my things could. 
The last observation, the last affirmation that I wanna look at briefly here is that true obedience understands its place. Yours and my obedience, you gotta hear this. Yours and my obedience does not earn our salvation. It does not, it cannot. Our obedience does not earn our salvation, it evidences it. To put it another way, obedience is our response to having received God's favor in Jesus. It is not a jockeying for God's favor. We have to get this right because there are denominations of churches that have veered into legalism and Pharisaism and my own heart wants to veer that way because I want to work hard and I want to be one who stands approved before the Lord based on my merit. That's how my heart is naturally bent. But that is not the gospel. That is not the good news of Jesus. It is imperative that we understand this. Because if our lives as Christians is lived as if we are auditioning for God's approval, then two horrible things will happen. One, we might succeed for a season and get really puffed up. And it might become all about us, all about us following God's moral law perfectly rather than trusting in Jesus's perfect obedience, which is the requirement of salvation. The other thing that can happen, which is just horrible, is that in our attempt to nail the audition and to earn God's righteous approval by our works and by our obedience, we'll fall, we'll fall short and we'll fall into despair and we'll fall away from the Lord. Either of those errors are highly possible for the person who takes their eyes off of the truth of the matter, that we do not earn God's favor by our obedience. We evidence that we have already received God's favor in Jesus. That's how this operates. We have to get this right as a church. The audition is over. So many Christians in the room today, I believe, need to hear the job interview is over. The audition is over. Jesus came. Jesus lived the perfect life that as we're talking about obedience, I don't know about you, but my soul, as I studied this passage, just sank because I don't obey God nearly as much as I ought. If you were to watch the tape of my life for the last five years, oh my gosh, I hope there would be some evidence that I love Jesus in the way that I live my life. I hope. But this is my hope and this is yours is that as your soul begins to sink under the weight of your imperfect performance, look upon the, the perfect performance of Christ. This morning, look upon the perfect performance of Christ. Look, if you're here and you don't give a rat's whatever, that, you, know, that, you, that you, you don't care that your obedience has been less than stellar, I'm actually not talking to you right now if that's you. I'm talking to the person in here whose heart sinks and says, oh my gosh, will I be one to, be, to stand approved when Jesus returns? I hope I've obeyed enough. 
just the fact that you are wanting that is a sign that you have believed Jesus and that he is going to be working in you. You will grow in obedience, believer. You will in God's timing. But our audition is over. Praise the Lord. That is the best news that I could have heard this week. Happened to preach this text right as I'm wanting to enter another season of earning my salvation, earning grace. What, what idiocy. You cannot earn unearned favor, the definition of grace. And so it's with this in mind that obedience can become just an amazing thing in our lives. Being reminded, being reminded that we are justified by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, being reminded of that means now every act of obedience for the rest of this day when you go home, brother, and you say no to the temptation of pornography, you say no to the temptation of sexual immorality, in that moment, man, there is rejoicing that can be had because in that moment, you are evidencing something supernatural that is at work in your heart. You have been saved by grace. You have been given the desire to fight sin because of Jesus in you. And you have been given the power to overcome the temptation of sin because the Holy Spirit resides in you. Hallelujah. Every opportunity for obedience now demonstrates this. It's not us saying, I better do this so that God will accept me. It's I want to do this for my flourishing because God has already accepted me in Jesus. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. Man, the good news that we have, church, the good news that we have, and oh, I, I pray that it makes us missional. I pray that we go out into the community of Ashland, and when I get to share this word with the Worcesterians, that we go out into the community of Worcester. <laughs> Was that weird or something? <laughs> it's one of the only times I've never intended to be funny and got a reaction. So yeah, normally I'm intending to be funny and nobody gets it. So no, but here's, my, here's, my, here's our missional heart. Here's our missional heart. How many people out there in the world have rejected a Christianity that isn't really even Christianity and they need to hear that they have been accepted by faith alone in the merit of Jesus and there's no auditioning. Gosh, there's no more auditioning. I praise the Lord for this good news. So what we've seen this morning is that obedience is the indisputable evidence that we believe in Jesus. It is the indisputable evidence when we are walking like Jesus. It is the validating proof of our belief, this obedience to God. And man, if you're still struggling, I would just encourage you to read through Romans 7. The apostle Paul himself struggled. Why do I do the things that I don't wanna do? Why do I disobey? I don't want to, I have a changed heart. And yet his confidence was founded in the fact that Jesus will not let go of that which he has started. He will finish what he has started in you. So believers, be encouraged. And if you've never heard this good news, respond, believe, trust Jesus, and your sins are exonerated. And then walk in the flourishing that obedience brings. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, the gospel just gets better and better and better. And I just, I, I wanna pray that this church 
uh, whoever is, is behind the pulpit preaching, God, I pray that we would never graduate from the simple good news that Jesus became sin. Even though he knew no sin, he became sin so that sinners, so that we might become the very righteousness of God. He died for us, he raised for us, and now he calls us as our high priest to trust in his completed work. God, Jesus didn't say it is finished on the cross as just some sort of cute idea. He meant it, and we celebrate that. So God, let us look upon your holiness. Let us look upon your trustworthiness. Let us look upon the love that was poured out for us on the cross of Christ. Let it be our motivator, Lord, today to walk in trust and obedience to you, that we would flourish by walking in your design, by your desire. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name, amen.